was at a conference last week and it was a very interesting conference. I enjoyed it very much. It was in the Chicago area. And the idea behind the conference was to help us know how to think, not what to think. And I've thought about that a lot over my life and I was, was reminded about it as I was approaching today's program. And I wanna help us think carefully I'm not going to twist your arm to persuade you about everything we might want to think about today. A few things, yeah, I'd twist your arm on, but I want us to make sure we think clearly and carefully about some important and interesting things. Well, I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and you're listening to Faith Is, where we understand that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And of course, that's one of the things that we're going to rely on today as we think out loud about some important things. And I like this idea that you and I can gather like this every week and we can think out loud about things. We don't have to come to every conclusion. Some conclusions we need to come to. No question about that. God is God. Can't get away from that. But I want us to think out loud about some of those kind of things. And it's appropriate here on America Out Loud for us to think out loud. And we'll help each other. And as we think out loud, we often guide ourselves in the way we need to go. So we're going to tackle a subject that, well, I really wasn't planning on tackling. I always thought I would sometime, but I didn't think I would this time. But earlier this week, I was kind of prompted by something that I read, and I thought, you know, this is a subject that comes up all the time. It's always in front of us. People talk about it a lot, and we should think carefully about it, and we should guide our thinking based upon what God tells us is true and what we then are supposed to do about that. So I want us to talk about this idea that goes by a number of names. Sometimes it's called climate change. Sometimes it's called global warming. And even now I can hear some of you groaning and saying, I don't even want to think about that anymore. It's always in my face. I get that. Not trying to always be in anybody's face. But if we're going to think Christianly about things, we need to think about all of the issues, and God speaks to us about them to help guide our thinking and our choices related to that. So I've also been thinking a lot about Daniel, and you probably remember that if you listened to last week, week before. And we talked about how Daniel had particular insights and wisdom, how Daniel and his friends were chosen for the royal court in Babylon because of their well-trained minds and their abilities physically and mentally, to serve the royal court of Babylon. We talked about how they had to learn the Babylonian literature and language. And how then Daniel, when we didn't go into the rest of the story of Daniel, we stopped at chapter 1, but the story unfolds of how Daniel took the wisdom and the knowledge that God helped him with, blessed him with, gave him, and he applied it to situations that he had to navigate as a faithful follower of the one true God, Yahweh. Well, if we're going to faithfully follow the one true God, today we have to have some perspective to guide our thinking. And that's what I hope to give us today. Thinking out loud, and if God could help Daniel, and he did, there's no doubt about that, then God can help us, and he will, and he does, there's no doubt about that. Daniel 
lived long before the gift of the Holy Spirit, and some weeks ago we celebrated Pentecost and reminded ourselves that the Holy Spirit came to guide us into all truth. And we want to be guided, and we want to explore that today and think about it as it relates to this whole business of climate change, global warming, or sometimes, and I kind of like this way of thinking about it better, creation care. What are our responsibilities as the people of God to take care of the world we live in? Is it just here for our use and abuse, or are there some other perspectives we need for that? So we're we're going to tackle that a little bit. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the, the beauty of the earth. There's a hymn that talks about for the beauty of the earth. And, and it describes it in, in eloquent terms. And I started thinking about the places that I've visited. Maybe you think about some places you've visited that were just stunning. And they were, they were maybe unexpectedly so. Maybe in dramatic fashion, maybe in quiet fashion. For example, you can't visit Niagara Falls without being just amazed at the power and the might represented in that water flowing down the river and over the falls. It is just simply overwhelming to think of the volume of water, to think of the the rush of that, to hear it, to see the spray that's generated. What a place. What a magnificent part of creation. By token, or by different perspective, I guess you could say, One of the most beautiful drives you can take is on the Trans-Canada Highway in New Brunswick, Canada, and see the St. John River Valley. It's just a stunning view of God's creation. Rolling hills, it's just beautiful in its own way. It's not like the Niagara Falls view. It's peaceful, but it's beautiful in so many ways. If you ever get up that way, go. Same way in Ontario. If you're familiar with the Rideau Canal system, there are some spots on that that are just striking. Now, I never got to explore a lot of that, but I saw some of the places, some of the the locks that they still operate by hand, just beautiful areas. God has made some really spectacular sights for us to see. I remember when I was in high school and first visited the Rocky Mountains, I could not imagine anything like that. Now, I'd read about the Rocky Mountains. I'd seen pictures. That was not unusual. But I tell you, when that bus began to roll through the Rocky Mountains and we'd go around one corner and see the, the landscape ahead of us and around us, it was, it was just stunning. And just when you thought it couldn't get better, you'd go over the hill and around the curve and there was another site that was just even more, or seemingly so, spectacular. It's just a bit, nothing short of amazing what God has done with his creation. And of course, in more recent times, I've spent several visits to the Smoky Mountains. And again, the stunning expanse of God's creation. To see the mist there across those mountains and to realize that God created all of that. It just is a stunning thing. There's true beauty in the creation of the world. And and of course, I probably should mention closer to home, I'm the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida, and people come to Florida because of the beauty of Florida and the beaches and and the islands and all of that. There is a lot of stunning expanse to God's creation, and we should not forget that. The beauty of the world God has created is just remarkable. 
And yet we see people make interesting claims about the world. And so I want us to think about this with, first of all, recognizing that the beauty is significant, but then ask, who does it all belong to? Well, the Bible tells us, and there's a specific statement in Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. So clearly God is laying claim to the earth, to the world, to everything we see, God says it's mine. And we need to make sure we think about that when we consider the whole concept of creation care, climate change, global warming, all of the things related to it. Whatever we think, whatever decisions we make about some of these contemporary issues, we need to remember that we're talking about the earth, what God says is his. And we should not go over that lightly. God says the earth is mine. He owns it. We don't own it. It isn't ours. It's his. And whatever we think about it, whatever we decide about it, always needs to be in the context that the earth belongs to God. Now, we also have some other really interesting statements that God gives us about this whole idea of the earth. And so I want us to skip ahead from Psalms to the New Testament to Romans chapter 1. Now there's a lot in Romans chapter 1. I'm not going to get into some of those things. They're very insightful and helpful. But Romans chapter 1 verse 18. And again, this week I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version update to edition. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and injustice of those who by their injustice suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been seen and understood through the things God has made, so they are without excuse. For they knew God, for though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So let's make sure, and I'm stopping there in the middle, I understand that, but the point is to make sure we, we don't miss this. While God claims ownership of the earth, and he does, and it's his, he also reminds us that creation was given, and it's given plainly here in Romans chapter 1, creation was given to us to reveal God so we don't have an excuse not to acknowledge God. So whatever we think about creation needs to include the recognition that creation reveals God's eternal power and divine nature. Whatever decisions we make about it have to be in light of the realization that creation is a reflection of God. And when we see creation, we have no excuse but to realize there is a God. And he, he's not us, and we're not him. God is God, and we are not, we sometimes say. So creation belongs to God. Creation reflects God. And of course, I hope you realize that I've been talking about it in these terms. The whole point of it belonging to God and reflecting God is because God created it in the first place. We'll touch on that a little bit more in a minute. 
but I'm assuming that maybe you are too. I hope so. Well, given the fact that the earth belongs to God, given that it reflects the glory of God, where do we as people fit into that? Where do we as people fit into creation? Well, we can learn a lot about the things we need to know by looking at Genesis chapter 1. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. That's the, the place in the Bible where we read the creation story. And it tells us where we fit into the creation, where we as people fit in. Now, I'm going to read from a different English translation than usual. I'm going to read from the message because it says it more plainly. And I don't want us to miss the point. So in Genesis chapter 1, starting about verse 26, God spoke. Let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature. So that's a description of people in God's image, reflecting his nature. Now listen to this. Here's the part about where we fit into creation. Let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of earth. So don't miss that word, responsible. What does God say? So they can be responsible. Now, some English translations use the word dominion, and that's fine. There's other words that are used sometimes. But this idea of responsible, I think, describes so clearly what God expects of us. We are responsible for taking care of the world around us, for the earth that we live in. In other words, we are stewards of it, not owners. It doesn't belong to us for us to do whatever we want with it. We are given it as a trust. That's what it means to be a steward of something. We have a stewardship responsibility. We've been given a trust to take care of the earth, and that means that we are responsible for it, and God spells that out here. So we take care of the world, and and I have never... As long as I can remember, never thought Christians believed anything different than that. Now, there are people that will accuse people of thinking one way or another. I've never thought or gotten a hint that Christians were eager to abuse the world, the earth, creation. Now, people have abused it. People do abuse it now. And I realize that we can argue about what we mean by abusing it. Okay, I get that. But I don't think that's going to help us today. So let's not get distracted by what abuse actually means. Let's recognize that, that this world we live in, the earth, belongs to God. And we are responsible for taking care of it. That's how we fit in. The earth is the Lord's. It reflects his glory. Romans chapter 1. And our responsibility is to be good stewards of that. Now... Mixed into all of this, we need to come to a recognition that that there's a co- competition of perspectives about all of this. And we, we who are people of faith, who believe in God, we who understand that, that we need to trust what God says, we have to make a commitment when we approach these issues from that direction. We have to make a commitment that we're coming at it from the direction that, that the earth belongs to God. It clearly demonstrates there is a God by virtue of creation and that God put us here to take care of the world. That's beginning stuff to think about. We need to believe God. Now, 
part of the problem when it gets into discussions like global, global warming or climate change or creation care comes down to who do we believe? Well, that's why I want to start with we need to believe God. Our foundational approach needs to come from the perspective that this world belongs to God. It reflects his glory. And my responsibility and your responsibility is to be good stewards of that which God has given us. So does that mean I have to mow the grass because that's taking care of the lawn? Yeah, that's what it means as much as it's not my most sought after chore. I still need to do it, and I still need to take care of what God has given me. Sometimes I have to trim a bush or two or ten. That's all part of it. Sometimes I trim a tree. Sometimes taking care of the world God gives me means I have to cut a tree down because it would mess something else up. It's all judgment in the context that the earth belongs to God, reflects his glory, and I'm responsible to take care of what God has given me and what is entrusted to my care. Now, when it comes to issues like climate change and global warming and creation care, it gets all mixed up because everything these days has become, wait for it, hate to remind you, but it's true and you can't escape it, don't try. Everything has come down to being political. The world has changed in our lifetime, certainly in my lifetime, and things have become much more political and are often viewed through the lens of a political perspective. That's the reason I started by saying we need to see this through a perspective that God owns the earth, the earth is his, he created it, and we are responsible for taking care of it. Now, what I mean by the politics of things is that people often take their global warming, climate change information from the political perspective they embrace. So, what I mean by that is if you embrace a left-leaning political perspective, then you will believe the left-leaning political figures. And sadly, much of the information people believe comes from political figures who may or may not be expert on these areas. It's difficult to be expert on these. I'm not claiming to be expert as a scientist. I'm just claiming to say we can think about these things carefully. But if we have left-leaning political ideals, then we tend to believe the left-leaning political voices, the people who speak for that, usually the Democrats, but not all Democrats. On the other hand, if you tend to be more right-leaning or more conservative in your political views, you tend to believe those people who are spokesmen, spokeswomen for that right-leaning political view, and usually those are Democrat, or not Democrats, Republicans. Occasionally you'll find a more conservative Democrat, but you'll also find more left-leaning Republicans. So it's a spectrum all along. That's why it's important for us to, to keep a true perspective and to believe God. So don't just automatically believe something that's said because your favorite spokesperson says it. Your favorite politician. I have some political leaders, representatives, I should say, I don't usually think of them as leaders. They are influencers. I I have some of them that I think tell the truth. 
some of them I think exaggerate and sometimes I go by the issue and I can tell hey wait a minute they're exaggerating on that and I'm not willing to pledge my allegiance to any of their perspective because our allegiance needs to be to God and to God's perspective that's why I said we need to believe what God says we need to look at creation through that lens so don't worship the earth worship God sometimes people get caught up in worshiping the earth and the Bible is clear we go back to the Ten Commandments and what does it say thou shalt have no other gods before me so we don't worship the earth we take care of the earth the earth is not God the earth belongs to God it reflects God's glory God's divine nature God's power but it's not what we worship we worship God we have no other God and we believe God that's the framework we need to approach these from as we begin to think them through and we also need to understand that much of what goes on in discussing climate issues these days climate change you want to call it global warming all of those things much of what that is is a clash of worldviews it's some people come at this discussion and they believe God created the heavens and the earth that's what the Bible says it's, it's absolutely clear God created the heavens and the earth now people want to reject that because they want to reject God and that's also in Romans we didn't get into that but when you go back and read that for yourself you'll see that they reject God and so they come at things from a different perspective they come at what we generally call a worldview that that believes in evolution and and defines God out so it's a clash of worldviews and often when it comes to these kinds of discussions uh, <laughs> you, you, you see that it's not about having an honest conversation or a well-reasoned perspective it's about well I've made this assumption and this is where I stand by way of illustration I'm aware of a church in Southern California you may have heard of Skyline Church well they were in need of new facilities this was been a lot of years ago they are now in those new facilities and have been for a lot of years so this goes back quite quite a number of years and they began to look around and they found property purchased property and began the process which in California apparently is much more involved than I would have ever imagined but they began the process of going through all of the steps to have permits and everything to build on that property well along the way they fought a lot of different battles a huge part of that was over people who were concerned about the environment and the and all of that relates to this whole business of creation care or climate change or global warming as part of that they would put up a variety of roadblocks to the construction one of which turned out to be a traffic study well I live in a place where there's a lot of traffic I can appreciate the need to be concerned about traffic there's a lot of people moving into our area and we see the impact of that all the time so maybe that's helpful probably in this case it was just another and, and you'll see that I think when I tell you the outcome it's just another attempt to manipulate things because of a preconceived idea so they were decided they had to do this traffic study which of course the church had to pay for and so the pastor asked one of the people that was involved in advocating for this traffic study 
the pastor said to this person, said, well, if the traffic study reveals that it's not going to be a problem and it's okay for us to build here, will you accept that report? And can we go forward from there? And the pastor also asked, if the traffic study comes back and says, no, you can't build here, will you accept the study? Well, it was very clear that when the pastor framed these two questions, the person said, if the study shows that you can't build here, I will accept the report. If the study shows you can build here, I will oppose and reject the report. All that person was saying is, I've made up my mind, and my perspective is, no, you can't do this, because I'm an environmentalist, and I don't want you to build there. See, that's a clash of worldviews or a clash of perspectives that people have arrived at ahead of time. And one of the things we as followers of Jesus have to be careful about is that we bring the right perception, the right perspective to the conversation. That's why it's important for us to recognize that the earth belongs to God. He created it. It belongs to him. It reflects his glory. And then we need to understand how we fit into that because secondly, it becomes our responsibility to take care of the earth. I don't think these are complicated concepts, but we need to make sure we come at them. We shouldn't come at them from a kind of a knee-jerk perspective as well. I don't believe in climate change, and so nothing anybody says am I going to consider. Well, we need to, we need to make sure we consider all of that in the context of God created the heavens and the earth. This world belongs to him, reflects his glory. And the question isn't, do I believe or disbelieve something? The question then becomes down to, how am I going to be the best steward of what God has given me, me and us, you and I, together? How are we going to make decisions that reflect that perspective? So, a, another little idea about that comes from Psalm 115. And it re- reinforces what we've talked about earlier, but I want to make sure that, that we think about this thing all the way through. Uh, Not because I don't think you are tracking with me, but just because if you pick out an isolated idea here or there, sometimes it gets us off track. But, But here in Psalm 115, verse 16, it reminds us again, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to human beings. What does that mean? That means it's our responsibility. And we can't escape that responsibility. We shouldn't try to escape that responsibility. We should go forward understanding it and embracing it and then asking the question, what is our responsibility before God to take care of what belongs to God? You know, you and I, if we are loaned something from someone else, a tool or a book or whatever somebody might loan us to use, we are careful about how we take care of that because we want to return it to the owner in good condition. We don't want to return it all battered and beat up as though we were careless in the way we took care of it. In the same way, we should think about our responsibilities to the creation. How do we take care of it before God? And when we stand before God, can we acknowledge that we've done a good job taking care of that? So based on all of that, we need to form a foundation to think through. And I don't want to, again, I don't want to tell you what to think, but I want to help us 
develop some ideas of how to think about these kinds of things. Because if we learn how to think about things, then when the next issue comes up, we'll be better able to handle it. So we want to, when we get back from a break in just a moment, we want to go ahead and we want to, we want to talk about such things as is global warming real? And are people the cause of it? What do we know about some of that? And again, I don't want to twist your arm to believe something as much as I want to give you things to think about so you can think this through. This is not something that's been widely decided. It's still a conversation, and we want to think that through, and we want to be a part of that from God's perspective and as our responsibility before God to take care of the earth he has entrusted to our care. So you take a little break now, think about some things, and and, and uh, this was just absolutely amazing to me. I was listening to another program uh, a couple weeks ago, and the uh, I, I really enjoy the way this particular person handles the type of program they do, and they always come up with unusual things, and they help me think about things carefully, like I hope I'm helping you today. And uh, they got ready to take a break, and and they led up to the break and reminded people what they were going to do on the other side of it, much the way I just said we're going to talk about is global warming real and think about the answers to that. But but he 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 did something that took me back almost at once. But I thought, well, that's that's pretty important to remind us. But he said, he came up to the break. He says, just like Jesus, we'll be back. And I thought, well, that's true. Jesus will be back, and he sure enough returned. I'm a little reluctant to say that like that for myself, but it's still true. In just a minute or two, we will be back. I hope you'll be here to join us. I'm Pastor Rick. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Did you know that doctors and nurses have been swabbing their noses with povidone iodine to protect from airborne threats like colds, flus, and pandemic era strains for decades? Cofix RX took that idea and made a more complete nasal formula with lasting cleansing effects. Maybe you're traveling soon or going to an event. Are you concerned somebody nearby might be sick? Maybe the office or classroom stresses you out. Get yourself a bottle of Cofix Rx nasal solution. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix Rx nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code out loud at cofixrx.com. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense 
an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free, love it, or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. AmericaOutloud.com. If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. Working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio, liberty and justice for all. As promised, we have returned. I'm Pastor Rick, and this is Faith Is, where we are cultivating amongst ourselves absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Because that's what faith is. Faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And we are going to help each other with that kind of faith. And we're going to grow in God's direction. And we're not going to apologize for it. And we're not going to shrink from it. And we've been tackling a subject, oh boy, that will continue to be a part of our conversation as a people for a lot of years to come. This whole idea of climate change or global warming or creation care and we've said from the beginning just to make sure we're clear about this that that the earth belongs to god he created it the earth is his he lays claim to it and we agree the earth belongs to him not only that but creation and all of the things that we've seen from the rocky mountains to you could go on and on to name things that you've seen that are just spectacular evidences of creation. They reflect his divine power and his, his divine nature. And that is a key beginning of all of this because it belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us, so we can't do with it whatever we want. In fact, the Bible is clear, and we went back to Genesis chapter 1 and reminded ourselves that our responsibility toward God's creation, what he owns, the earth we live in, is to take care of it. He gave it to us to support life. It's our responsibility now to take care of it, to be good stewards. We have been given a trust, and we're supposed to take care of it. And I suggested before the break that we needed to think about, is global warming real? Well, I know everybody wants a definitive answer to that, and so do I. And yet, it seems like that there's evidence that, on the one hand, some temperatures are rising, but there's other evidence that people present that say, no, it's not. There is a lot of concern that the, the global warming hysteria is exaggerated, and people point to reasons for that, and I think they have good foundation for saying those kinds of things. Well, we want to think about some of that and what it means for us as humans and how we make decisions about the world that belongs to God and that that we have stewardship over. 
So, putting it bluntly, one survey found that about 60% of the people responding believe in global warming, and they believe it will likely or very likely lead to the end of people, to the world as we know it. Now, that's a staggering number. It's a very staggering number. Now, it's influenced by a lot of things, and you can, I can think about that. It's influenced by all the rhetoric we hear from certain public officials. It's influenced by the media repeatedly mentioning that kind of thing and, and going down that road and, and, and believing all of that. And it's important to recognize that it really is true that, that global warming is such a problem that it's going to lead to all of us dying. Then I guess we need to do something really significant about that. But there are plenty of other people that say, now hold on a minute, there's no real certainty that this is happening. And some of us who have lived long enough can remember that more than 10 years ago, people were saying in 10 years, it's all over. Well, we've survived 10 years. So let's think about some some of the evidences that might help us. Now, one of the things that, that we should sort out is, is this caused by humans? And much of the rhetoric that you and I hear is that the, the cause of the problem is too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, that we are producing too much carbon dioxide. Well, does carbon dioxide drive global warming? Somebody did a study of that some years ago now, and they discovered that since 1850, what appears to be going on is a continual warming following what's called the Little Ice Age. Rather than a sudden upsurge of temperatures, it's been this gradual warming. So this scientist goes on, and and I want to read this conclusion that this scholarly article, this study, came to. This is a quote. The detailed temperature record since 1850 shows a temperature decline between 1940 and 1970, which flies in the face of the explanation that a continuous exponential increase in carbon dioxide causes global warming. And the simultaneous record of temperature and carbon dioxide concentration in ice cores indicates that carbon dioxide concentration changes after temperature changes, not before, indicating that carbon dioxide is the result, not the cause of global warming. Now, process that a little bit. That's the end of the quote. That process that that the scientist is suggesting, based on this careful study, that carbon dioxide isn't the cause of global warming, that it's a result. In, In other words, what he's saying, the temperature rises, and so as the temperature rises, so does the level of carbon dioxide. Well, that's very different than if it's the driver of climate change. And so we need to think about that stuff carefully. Is global warming real, and to what extent is the threat? Well, that's one thing. Now, we will continually battle the rhetoric that goes on, because much of the rhetoric is way over the top. And, and very much intended to scare us into complying with all of the things that people want us to do. A lot of Western influence, influenced, influential people, I should say, from the United Nations to, to government leaders talk about the grave threats that we face. For example, they talk about the grave threat of hurricanes or superstorms, they sometimes call them. Well, if you know anything about hurricanes, you don't want to be in one. You don't want to be even close to one. 
But the question is, are we really threatened by stronger storms than we have in the past? Has climate change resulted in these super storms? What do we actually know about that? Now, I have an interest in that because I live in Florida. And one of the things I was concerned about when I moved to Florida was, what about hurricanes? Well, I investigated, tried to find out, tried to learn, tried to understand how they predicted them so that I would understand what the announcements meant when the weather reports said one thing, when the public uh, officials said another, so I'd know how to prepare. Well, we've had some hurricanes, so now I've lived through some, and I know something about them. We had one last fall named Ian. Huge storm devastating impact from the flooding, from the water, the storm surge mostly, some from from the wind. We had some damage in our house from the wind. The eye of the storm went right over our house. I know something about hurricanes. They're no fun. You don't want to be around them. And I know that a lot of people, a lot of people moved away from here because they said, we don't ever want to go through one of those again. That's not unusual for a hurricane. But what do we actually know? Well, some information I recently came across said that the annual number of hurricanes that make landfall in the United States since 1900 is slightly declining, not increasing. Now, if you had to go from my personal experience, I'd say, wow, we've had more storms here in Florida than I ever expected when I first looked into it. But the numbers say that it's slightly declining, not increasing. Just because I've been through more hurricanes than ever before in my life doesn't mean hurricanes are increasing. It means I live in a place where there are hurricanes, and I didn't for much of my life. The same is true, the statement goes on to say, the information, the same is true for major hurricanes, Category 3 and above, hitting the U.S. We see the same thing if we look at world data for total hurricane energy in the satellite era. That is 1980 to 2022. In fact, 2022, that's last year, that's when we had Ian here. 2022 was the second lowest recorded year. Now, you probably haven't heard that. Well, it doesn't fit the hysteria that some people engage in over climate change. It reminds us that the earth is the Lord's, we can't control it, but thanks be to God, it was lower last year. I hope it's lower again this year especially where I live. But we don't hear that kind of information because it doesn't fit the hysteria of some people. And really, when you look at it, what they're really trying to do is control us based on that fear. Well, there's another question that comes up about climate change. Have we seen more wildfires around the world due to climate change? You know, people say, well, the world's on fire, it's burning. Well, there were some fires in Australia and they were pretty dramatic. And people were a little concerned about that, and the media picked up on that. And so if you live near that and you heard all of that, you might think, mercy, the world is burning. But the reality is it was the lowest level of burning due to fire on record for Australia as a whole. Even though they had some dramatic fires as a whole for the country, it was the lowest level on record. That's pretty remarkable. As for the amount of burned area due to fire on a global level, satellite data shows a dramatic decline over the past 25 years. Hmm, now that's when we've had all this climate hysteria. So is global warming real? Well, you need to think about that carefully. Science journals covering this story 
not what you see on television or read in other media outlets, remind us that even if we do nothing, the number of fires will almost certainly decline. In other words, the world is not going to go up in flames, even though that's what you hear people say. The science indicates, the data from satellites indicates it's not going to go up in flames. Now, that doesn't mean global warming isn't happening. That just is a perspective we need to have because when people try to frighten us with things, I mean, if somebody says the world's going to go up in flames, then that kind of gets my attention. We have wildfires around here sometimes in the spring because we have such dry weather during the winter that lightning, when the storms kick off this time of the year, will often create brush fires, and they can be quite devastating. But it doesn't appear that we have to be worried that the world is going to be consumed by fire anytime soon because, based on the science, it's not happening. We tend to talk about the things that get our attention and that fire up people's imagination rather than sensible things. Now, think about why fires might be declining. Could it be that it's because people are smart and they figure out how to fight fires and keep them from getting out of control? Do they get out of control? Sometimes they do around here. And often the reporting is about how much of the fire is contained. So they'll say a fire sprang up over here, and then they'll say, and it's 50% contained. Well, that's good news. Later they might say, well, the wind's blew, and it's now only 25% contained. Or most commonly, they say it's 50% contained, then they'll say it's 75% contained, and then another report will come out and say it's fully contained, and they're fighting the fire. That's all good news. So you see, we need to recognize that just because you hear it doesn't mean it's the whole story. And certainly this is true for the hurricanes. It's true for the wildfires. Well, sometimes you hear people say, well, it's global warming and we're all going to die. Well, I I hate to be the bearer of news to you, but you know, we are all going to to die. But it's not likely that we're all going to die because of the hysteria related to global warming or climate change. So what is the data in terms of the number of people that die as a result of of these kinds of out of control events from floods to droughts to storms to wildfires to extreme temperature? Well, you might be interested to know that back in the 1920s, that was before my lifetime, In the 1920s, about 500,000 people died each year due to climate-related things. Half a million people, that's a lot of people, 500,000. You keep going from 1920 and you look at the numbers and they fluctuate from year to year, but there has been overall a dramatic decline in the number of deaths due to climate issues, floods, droughts, storms, wildfires, temperatures. In 2010, and during the years of the 2010s, the average number of people dying each year as a result of the climate was 18,000. Now, that's a dramatic drop from 500,000. Think about that. From 1920 to the 2010s, a drop from 500,000 people to 18,000. That is huge. In 2022, last year, the year of Hurricane Ian, in my mind, that number dropped to about 11,000. 
Now, you don't hear this from the people that want to alarm us and make us upset. That's why it's important for us to think carefully about these things. You don't hear that because that doesn't support their alarmist ideas. But we need to remember that as we think about the earth is the Lord's. It all belongs to him. And really, when you think about it from that perspective, doesn't that remind you that God might actually have built into creation ways to help mitigate some of these problems so that they don't have to be the problem? And think about it. Why do you suppose these numbers have dropped so dramatically? That's just, that's just a huge drop from 500,000 to 11,000. Could it be that we have better resources, better technology, better ability to predict what's going to happen? And could it be that, can you imagine this? People actually are smart. They figure out how to adjust to things. They figure out how to overcome these problems. They figure out how to lessen the risk. You see, a lot of times when people talk about these over-the-top potential harms that will happen, they fail to factor in the fact that people are smart and people learn very quickly how to put a stop to some of these things, how to fight these fires, how to stay away from floods, with predictions, capabilities that we have, we know that we don't have to, to be overcome by them. And, and really, there's an obvious example of that. In this same article that I got from the Hillsdale publication in Primus, reminds us that there's an airport in Amsterdam. I don't know if you've been to that airport in Amsterdam. I've been to it a couple of times, and I can tell you it's there. Well, if you know anything about Holland, you know that Holland... It's below sea level, and so they're famous for having dikes and canals and stuff to keep from being flooded. And so this this airport now stands on dry land, and, and it's used all the time. It's an example of how those people figured out how to overcome the problems and maintain their life, even in a place that's below sea level. So we need to realize that people are smart, and they will do smart things, to stop things. Now, one other example of that is one that probably is not very popular with a lot of people. I understand that. But some of us remember, oh, back, it's been a lot of years ago now. I don't know if I remember how many. But you remember that Los Angeles had a real problem with smog. And we'd see it on the on the news, and we'd see that that they were just bothered by that and nobody seemed to know what to do with it. Now, climate alarmists will often, when they see something like that, they'll say, well, stop driving your car. All car driving needs to stop because we can't continue this because we have too much air pollution. And it was a problem. You can see pictures of it and it did not look like a place you want it to be. Well, it's my understanding that that problem has been greatly reduced and it was reduced because people got smart. People developed a new technology. Have you ever heard of a catalytic converter? Now, people that know about cars, they don't necessarily like catalytic converters because of its impact upon the performance of a car. I understand that. But what you have to recognize, at least to factor into this whole climate idea, is that that innovation, instead of telling people you can't drive, that innovation has helped increase the quality of the air in big cities like Los Angeles. Now, isn't that interesting that 
that we are innovative enough to figure that out. Well, we are, and that's a good thing. And we need to we need to consider that as we talk about all of these kind of things. We need to consider that as as a reality because people are smart and we can figure this stuff out. We know how to how to do things better. Let me give you another example. This goes back to the 1850s. Way back then, most of the people who lived in North America, even in Western Europe, used whale blubber to light their homes. And whales were being hunted nearly to extinction because they needed that whale blubber to turn into oil to light their lamps. Well, something happened to save the whales. And I think that's a good thing. We want whales. We like looking at them. They're magnificent creatures. Well, what happened to save the whales? They didn't pass a law to ban the burning of whale oil. No, they probably wouldn't have done that because people needed to be able to see. What happened was they discovered oil in Pennsylvania. Oil. Now, these days, oil's the bad guy. But think about this. Oil saved the whales because people could get oil out of the ground in Pennsylvania. It was a lot cheaper. It was a lot easier to drill for that oil than to send ships around the world hunting whales. And so innovation and fresh ideas saved the whales, saved Los Angeles and smog. And we need to remember that innovation is something we can still count on today. So all that reflects is that people are smart and that that's that's a reality of of what goes on. Now, other, other things are suggested. Other hard decisions are made. And I get that. There are, there are all kinds of draconian measures that are out there that, that suggest that we need to get to, to zero CO2 by 2050. And even sometimes governments say we're going to do that. But even the op- most optimistic predictions of the possibility that we could do that say that if we could get 95% of that, it would cost more than $11,000 per person per year to do that. So, so you see, we have to think carefully about these things because of the cost versus the benefit. Now, who's got $11,000 per year to get us to, to 95% of that net zero goal by the year 2050? Well, we don't have that kind of money, and we probably would never spend that kind of money. Even incremental improvements cost a lot of money when it comes to the idea of global warming. A man named Nordhaus won a Nobel Prize in economics for studying all of this, and he showed the effect of of the cost of climate policy on the reduction of, of greenhouse gases or of CO2. And he showed that, that it's an extremely expensive proposition to try to lower that cost even a little bit. So if you try to lower it even 6.75 degrees, which is one of the things that they, that they worked on, if you look for that, He discovered that it's just over-the-top expensive for that. The problem is we don't hear that kind of talk in our rhetoric about things. We just hear the hysteria about, oh, dear, we're all going to die. What are we going to do about it? Well, we aren't all going to die, and we can do some things about it. And we need to recognize that, and we need to, 
to take heart that there are better ways, there are better solutions, and that we can be smart about this and think about it in terms of what does it mean that the earth is the Lord's and that we are stewards. That doesn't mean we won't do anything. We might do some things. I get that. You get that. We all understand that. But that's the kind of God we can trust. That's the kind of God we can have faith in. And I want to encourage you to have faith, have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. When you think about all of these things, don't be dismayed. Trust God. He will see us through. Hope you'll join us next week. We'll tackle something else. In the meantime, I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. Glad you could be here.